Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 21st. What's popping this week on the ATP and WTA tours? That is the subject of today's episode. I want to set the scene for all of you listeners in what should be another exciting week of professional tennis action. Of course, it starts with our tour-level events, the women heading to Ostrava. Very fun field. I want to break down that draw for all of you listeners, talk about the results we've seen unfold thus far. Worth reminding all of you, why is an event like Ostrava important? Well, if you can remember back to the end of last season, we saw Arena Sabalenka rip through both the Ostrava and and the Linz draw. She came back from a 6-0-4-0 deficit against Sarah Ceribes Toro and honestly rode the momentum from there through the duration of the 2021 season. So these end of events, uh, end of year events, excuse me, they can matter. Now they don't always matter, but they absolutely can matter when we see the quality of field, not only in Ostrava on the women's side, but of course on the men's side as well. You've got two events happening in both France and Nur Sultan, of course. Again, do we see the Djokovic's of the world competing this week? No. We will see the Zverev, Tsitsipas's, Medvedev's, uh, Shapovalov's, Isner's, Opelka's of the world competing at the Labor Cup in Boston, and that's an event I want to preview separately. Talk about you know all of the drama surrounding that event that as well, because certainly that is a storyline all of us tennis fans likely have become aware of if you follow the day in day out actions on tour. But you know again, I want to focus on the tour level action happening this week the sanctioned events that I suppose have ranking points implications I don't is Labor Cup a sanctioned event technically yes but you know while the stats count the rankings points do not so again I'm going to focus on the rankings points events here on this show talk about those two ATP draws in France in Nur Sultan talk about the five challengers happening this week one of them in Columbus happening simultaneously to an 125k women's event of course you've got four other challengers happening some fun ITF action happening in both Fayetteville and Fort Worth. If you're a college tennis fan, you are absolutely going to want to keep your eye on the results happening there this week. So I want to share my thoughts, give you all a sneak preview of that action. Again, just in general, set the scene for all of you listeners as we prepare for another week of professional tennis play. Of course, before I do any of that, I do want to remind all of you that the reason we're able to do this day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, the support we get from our Crack Rackets fam- uh, Patreon family, and of course, the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point. It's worth noting, and it happened a while back, I'm pretty sure we passed 1.5 million downloads in total for our lifetime here at Crack Rackets, and that's just an amazing number. And I, it, it, I, if you could see the smile on my face, again, I'm struggling for words here. I, I try not to laugh at that sort of thing, but it's just it's a testament to you know again our appreciation to all of you listeners because it's just remarkable uh, again this came from a passion of the sport I just really wanted to keep tennis in my life and I appreciate all of you sharing in that passion for the sport and again knowing that so many of you out there follow it day in day out as closely as we do here at Crack Rackets it inspires us to keep going so a thank you to all of you listeners a huge thank you as well to our friends over at Tennis Point who of course help pay the bills. To to help make all of these episodes happen. And of course, they've been supplying tennis fans, tennis players for years with the best equipment at the best prices. If you have any needs for to make sure your game is where it needs to be on court, go to tennis-point.com. That's the symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, not only 
will you get uh, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, you will get a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point, simple, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's talk about what's popping. And the place we start is with that WTA event in Ostrava. Now, I will say I have a personal fondness for this event. Listeners may remember last year I had the opportunity to be on Press Row. Was you know it felt like me, David Kane, Michael Dickens. Uh, we were on the you know Arena Sabalenka beat for about two weeks and. That sort of experience was a formative experience for me because to get to see a player have that sort of success, you could see in the press room the breakthrough after that Sribas Tormo win and just winning that first title, what it did for the confidence of Arena Sabalenka. So I do put value in these end-of-year events, of course, knowing now what we do, that there will be a WTA year-end finals in Guadalajara. Will every top player play it? No. Definitely not, but between you know Indian Wells still on the uh, calendar and the chase to make those year-end finals, there are a lot of players pursuing points this week, going to Ostrava, playing these matches, and you look at just the top 20 players in the draw, we've got seven of them. In our top seven seeds, it starts with top seed Iga Sviantek. She's yet to begin her campaign. Uh, she'll kick things off, I believe, tomorrow against Yulia Putin-Seva, who's coming off of a semifinal last week where she lost in three sets to the eventual champion, Jasmine Paolini for Putin Seva. She followed up that result with a three-set win today over Shui Zhang. So, you know, again, the physicality of Putin Seva, the physicality of Sviantek, that's certain to be a fun match. And, you know, that's a round of 16 match. Of course, you look at the other top 20 players, Petra Kvitova, who is the tennis abstract draw forecast favorite to win this event. She's a 20.4% favorite. That's first over Maria Sakari, who's 18.9. Iga Sviantek third at 11.2. You look for Kvitova. She'll kick off her campaign against the talented youngster Anastasia Padapova, the qualifier earning a win over wildcard uh, wild card Caroline Garcia, 6-2-7-6. Potapova, one of the more unheralded youngsters, I would say, in the women's game. You look for Potapova, 20-year-old Russian, currently number 78 in the ranking. She hasn't had that sort of breakthrough result that some of the other 21 and under players, obviously, nowadays, you think Radakanu, you think Fernandez, you think Coco Goff, you think even a player like Clara Tawson, who's won multiple WTA titles. That's not where Anastasia Pot- Pova is yet in her career. You look for her overall career high ranking number 64, which she reached in 2019. Number 89 coming, uh, excuse me, in the live rankings right now, as I just mentioned, Potapova up to number 78 by qualifying, making the round of 16 here. But you look for Potapova. She was a former junior Wimbledon champion, winning the girls singles event in 2016, defeating Diana Yastremska in a final. And no, she hasn't made a WTA final. Uh, uh, she hasn't won a WTA title yet, excuse me, but she's made two finals in her career. Now, they were back in 2018 on the clay, on the hard courts, but you look for Potapova. She did make quarterfinal in Dubai earlier this year, made her first third round at a slam in Australia earlier this season. She's a player with a ton of talent, and so again, she's the sort of player you keep an eye on at the end of the season, gets the opportunity to go to this event, gets a couple of good wins in qualifying, now gets a win over Caroline Garcia. You look for Potapova in terms of the ELO ratings right now. Uh, They have her currently 94th in overall ELO rating. You look at her results here this season, currently number 104. Again, for her, it's been a season of acclimating to the full-time tour schedule, but, you know, the quicker the surface, the indoor hard courts, Potapova's got the talent to compete. Uh, Certainly, it's a good victory for her here early to advance, and again, she's going to get a chance at a Petra Kvitova, whose form's been up and down here in 2021, particularly here late in the season, so... That should be an interesting first match. You look at third seed Belinda Bencic coming off of an early loss last week uh, to Ludmilla Samsonova. I guess it was a quarterfinal loss, so not that early. One and one on the week for the two seed last week. But look, Bencic has finals points. Or is it finals, semifinals? Big points to defend, excuse me, at Indian Wells. You look for Bencic right now. Uh, currently 10th in the rankings. You also look for Belinda Bencic, 19th in the race to the year-end finals. She currently tra- trails Garbine Muguruza by about 800 or excuse me by about 600 points 
But look, she gets a win this week just for whatever it's worth. She would get up to 2,467 points. All of a sudden, she's trailing by about 200 points with Indian Wells still on the table. I'm not saying she's going to win this week in Ostrava, but I'm saying even one, two victories, get a quarterfinal, semifinal, that race to uh, the year-end finals very much in play. And most importantly for her, she keeps a top 20 ranking, stays close to the top 10 as well, which just given the depth in women's tennis, we know how valuable it is to be seeded early in events. But you look for Belinda Bencic now. She's going to take on Sarah Cerebez Tormo, a 3-3 three and three winner over Zakharova. Of course, Cerebez Tormo has been one of the 15 best hardcourt players week in, week out on tour this season. I mentioned her numbers uh, throughout the U.S. Open repeatedly. I think it's now 25 and 8 on the year, maybe 25 and 9 in a hardcourt event. She's won a couple of titles, made a couple of finals. Uh, she's been exceptional all year long, and that degree of physicality, even on an indoor hardcourt, it translates uh, that Benchich 3 best Toro match. I mean, let's say it. Very reminiscent of last year, you know, where we saw Benchich, uh, where we saw Cerebus Tormo Sabalenka. Perhaps Benchich gets this win here, goes on a nice run. Of course, she's your three seed, your fourth seed, as I mentioned, second favorite according to Tennis Abstract, Maria Sakari. She's going to begin her campaign against either wildcard Yelena Ostapenko coming off of a final last week or on a blink of a. I mean, that's a really fun section of the draw right there, of course, as we continue through perhaps tomorrow's match of the day. Paula Bedosa, your number nine seed, taking on Annette Conteve for both of them. Straight set wins. Bedosa 2-2 two and two over Gracheva. Conteve 4-4 four four over Kirstea. You look at Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings right now in terms of, you know, the 2021 specific. Paula Bedosa 11th in over, uh, 2021 ELO, her 32-12 and 12 record this season. Absolutely phenomenal. But Annette Conteve 25-14. and 14. She's 18th. This is a top 20 battle, according to the advanced metrics. You look at the race to the year-end finals right now. Paula Bedosa currently 17th, and that Conteve 24th. Uh, again, these are two players, very similar results, tough outs physically. And, you know, again, for Annette Conteve, she doesn't always have the weapon to hurt the best of the best. And I've mentioned the numbers. I think she's something like 20-1 and one this season against players ranked outside of the top 50. It's when she starts to play those top 50, top 20 opponents who have the powerful weapons that her game starts to get stretched. But that's not Paula Bedosa. This match is going to be a war of attrition, and you do look from a matchup perspective. Uh, again, you know, I, I suppose you'd say Paula Bedosa probably a little bit more dynamic with the forehand, probably just a little bit more power behind that ball, a little bit better at holding her position on the baseline. But you would, I could argue, Conteve's got the more well-rounded game. That Conteve's the one who's going to have, you know, the opportunities to move forward. That if Conteve's aggressive, uh, you know, she'll have opportunities to hit approach shots, have opportunities to force Bedosa into the outer thirds, just force her to come up with some excellence. And you know, again, in a war of attrition, it's the player who is willing to be a bit more daring, the player willing to move forward, be the aggressor. Not an indoor hard court. I kind of like the aggressive tools of Conteve a bit better. So so I think this is a very winnable match for Annette Contevay. And to get a win over a top 20 opponent, what that does for her confidence just reminds her she is in that discussion. She belongs in that group. You look for Annette Contevay in the live rankings, 29th right now. That just feels criminal. It just feels like she should be ranked higher than that. Her results have been excellent. And yet, again, you look at the names above her. She's been more consistent than Jennifer Brady at number 21. And yet, we all know Brady, Australian Open finalist. Bianca Andrescu at 20. Conteve's been more consistent week in, week out, but Andrescu, a Miami final. And so, you know, that's what you're competing against right now at the top of the women's game. That's why that matchup, so fascinating, should be a really fun one, of course. You look at some of the other matchups, and we'll rapid fire through here now, but you've got one upset on the day. Jill Teichman, your Western Southern Open finalist. She gets a 2-3 and three win over six-seed Angelique Kerber. Great to see Teichman continue her level of success here uh, down the home stretch of the season. Another player who absolutely can build some uh, confidence, and you look for Jill Teichman, number 40 right now uh, in the live rankings. 
Does that feel low? Does that feel high? Does that feel about right for the 24-year-old? It's tough to say. We know her peaks can be very high, uh, and certainly hard court she's been so good on over the past 18 months. And so a uh, good victory for her. She'll face the winner of last week's finalist, Ali Risk, and qualifier Fiona Farrow. Of course, you look at the top half of the draw. Win today for Anastasia Pavlchenkova, 6-1 and one over Anaconia. She's going to take on Teresa Martinsova, who got a three-set win, 7-6 in the third, over Katarina Sinyan. Yakova, nice win for Elena Rabakina. And you know, indoor hardcourt, that's going to fit her power tennis to a T. She earns 6-1-6-3 win over Veronica Kudermatova. Tough draws for Kudermatova all season long, but you look for Rabakina now. She's going to play Magda Lynette, who is a winner over Ocean Doden. And again, uh, Rabakina, potential quarterfinal date with Iga Sviantek. Boy, that would be a fun match. And on indoor hardcourt, Who's your favorite in that one? I mean, the heavy spin in, right into the strike zone of Rabakina. She uses that Sviantec top spin to keep her ball down, keep that ball from flying long. That's an interesting matchup. And you know if Rabakina serves well, she can give the Sviantec forehand return troubles. At the same time, Sviantec is going to get uh, Rabakina stretched into the outer thirds. I'm previewing a match that isn't even guaranteed to happen yet. But that just speaks to the excitement, the possibilities in Ostrava should be a super, super fun week. And again, the fact that we have seven top 20 players competing in one uh, event here post-US Open, the fact that we have you look beyond just those seven, uh, I believe you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So 14 top 50 players in the draw it's essentially a Masters event, folks. I mean, it really. I mean, I guess it's not, but it's pretty close. Pretty close to the 1,000 level field. We'll see in Indian Wells. The action never slows down on the WTA Tour. Of course, that's your highest level event, but you've also got a really fun one happening in Columbus. And of course, it's a fun nexus of young Americans, young players in general looking to make their breakthrough. Former college players getting opportunities to compete. Fun event. I think is the sort of event cracked. Rackets fans uh, will certainly enjoy and you can expect us to talk about here throughout the week. But you look uh, up and down the draw, number one seed, Ann Lee, the young American, 73 in the world, top seed, always weird to see by her name, but she earns a 2-2 two and two victory in her first uh, match. She's got, you know, uh, Harriet Dart next uh, and would potentially have a matchup with either Coco Vandewey, who earned a 2-4 and four win over Texas's Peyton Stearns, or Renata Zarazua, 7-6 in the third win over Caroline Dalahide in the quarterfinals. But again, for Ann Lee, it was certainly, you could argue, a disappointing uh, U.S. Open result for her. And again, 20-year-old American, you're not going to put too high of expectations on her right now. Excuse me, 21-year-old American, but you do look for Ann Lee, the fact that, you know, a couple of weeks earlier in Chicago, she had made a semifinal beat, you know, a couple of good players on her way to that semifinal. You look for her, you know, Wimbledon earlier uh, this, or excuse me, not Wimbledon earlier this season, but what she was able to do uh, at the French Open, just went around there, what she was able to do at the Australian Open, go third round there. The fact that at the U.S. Open this season, she lost uh, her first round singles match to Kutsova 5-1. and one. Certainly, you know, we would have loved to see Ann Lee earn a victory there, but this is a good bounce back performance from Lee, and obviously she's got the chance to do some damage here now uh, in the draw. Of course, you look elsewhere, your number two seeds, Nuria Purdy's as Diaz, who has been uh, come on so strong here of late, won a title not too long ago on the WTA Tour. She earned a win in her first match, uh, so uh, uh, two and two victory for her. She now gets the talented young American Haley Baptiste. I would want no part of Baptiste on the indoor hard courts of Columbus. Of course, you look up and down the draw elsewhere. Your number three seed here this week, Madison Brangle. She earns a first round win over Danielle Lau. You've got your fourth seed, uh, Sai Sai Zhang. Fifth seed, Lauren Davis. Sixth seed, Renata Zarazua. Seventh seed, Beatriz Haddad Maya. And your eighth seed, uh, Shin Yu Wang. Of course, also great to see Luisa Chirico, uh, Chirico back in a draw. The talented American who's had so many injury struggles, but always had the talent. Former top 100 player, uh, qualified 
qualifies into the main draw here. Some other names to keep an eye on youngsters who have yet to play. Uh, Katie Volleynet's really good 7-6 in the third set win over Katrina Scott. Those are two talented young Americans. Volleynet's former girls 18s national champion in, at San Diego. Another one of those JMG products. Of course, Joseph Gilbert, that's uh, the coach of Jensen Brooksby, Govananda, Austin Huang, others, uh, Colin Altamirano, uh, Katie Volleynet's part of that system as well. That's going to be a physical battle between her and Lauren Davis in round number two. But again, should be a really, really fun um, week of action in Columbus as well. And to have the double event, you just love that for the Columbus community. And honestly, depending on how things break, I may try to make my way there on either tomorrow or Thursday. Probably not tomorrow, but perhaps on Thursday to just absorb some of the action. Got to see how long that drive is. But you know, again, to have a men's and women's event happening in one week, a bunch of high-level tennis players, top 100 talent across the board. Super cool for the Columbus community. That's why Ohio State tennis is where it is. Uh, and again, uh, should be a really fun week of action in Columbus. But those, and just for the record, in terms of the singles forecast, uh, right now, Sai Sai Zhang, your favorite, 24.6%, according to Tennis Abstract. After that, it's Ann Lee at 20.2%. You've got Lauren Davis, 9.5%. Beatrice Adonmaya, 9.4%. So we'll see how the numbers play out. They're pretty damn good uh, for the men's side during the 2021 U.S. Open. They had Medvedev earlier than many of us. They could just see how difficult that pathway was for Djokovic. So again, the fact that it's not Ann Lee, but it's Sai Sai Zhang. Uh, yes, that's part of a testament to past performance, but that's just an interesting thing to note uh, via the tennis abstract forecast. But again, those are your high-level women's events. Let's switch gears now. Talk about the action happening on the men's side. We'll start with the action happening in France. Look, if Andy Murray's playing, you know I'm watching. And for Andy Murray, this might be his best win of this 2021 season. And I know, you know, I'm saying that after for Andy Murray, you look at what he's been able to do this year for him to, you know, the fact that he goes to the U.S. Open and takes Tsitsipas two five sets. The fact that he was able to, you know, at Wimbledon get a couple of good wins over Nicolas Bastelishvili, the five-set win over Andy, uh, over Oscar Ota as well. But I have to say, his performance over Hugo Umbert here in uh, round number one of the action in France, 4-6-6-3-6-2 victory over the Frenchman on an indoor hard court. Murray was particularly impressive today, and it starts with the first serve. And look, watching Andy Murray, this is something we've talked about before when watching his matches, you can tell he plays with a renewed aggression of someone who just knows I cannot play 20 to 30 shot rallies on every each and every point anymore. That's just not a physical possibility. My hip won't last that long. My body will break down over the course of the tournament. I have to find a way to make things easy for myself. Now, it's worth noting, via Tennis Abstract's leaderboard amongst top 50 players, Ugo Umbert currently ranks 48th in break percentage. He breaks serve just 15.2% of the time. Again, he ranks 48th amongst top 50 players. That said, for Andy Murray, he took advantage of that fact. 18 aces today for Murray against only three double faults. He won 46 of the 54 first serve points he played. That's an 85% conversion rate. Fought off six of the seven break points he faced. So frequently on those break points, it was a big first serve, or it was a well-placed first serve to set up the easy plus one shot to force Ugo Umber to make some magic in the outer thirds and it's a lot. It was hard for Ugo Umber to do that today. Now you look for Andy Murray on the flip side. He created 13 break point chances for himself. Now he only converted three of the 13, but that's the sort of, you know, you only need three against a guy like Ugo Umber and for Murray against a guy in Umber who just, you know, the success he's had over, you look for Ugo Umber over the past, uh, I would say, I don't know if you want to go as far as to say 18 months, but you look for Ugo Umber and just, you know, what he, I guess you can say really over the past 18 months and what Ugo Umber has been able to accomplish over that stretch of time, uh, he has been a top 25, top 30 guy. I mean, you go back to the end of last season when he was able to, you know, win the title. I believe it was, you know, at the European Open, where was it, event in Belgium? 
Belgium. I, I forget where that event was, but when he was able to beat Demon Hour, beat Dan Evans, beat Lloyd Harris, beat Corino Busta, you look for him uh, during that stretch of time as well. He then goes, you know, to the Paris Masters and beats Chilich, beats Tsitsipas, beats Rude before bowing out to Milos Raonic. You look for him, you know, at the start of this season, played that super exciting match against Nick Kyrgios in Australia. Quarterfinals for him immediately after that, and then, you know, made another semifinal in Marseille earlier in the season in an indoor hard court on a fast surface on the grass courts as well. Obviously, he made the big run to the title uh, in Halle earlier this year. Ugo Umber's tennis thrives because he is a guy who hits the big serve, plays plus one, takes his forehand to the open space, wants to move forward, and we've seen for Andy Murray, he struggled to deal with that sort of pressure. Certainly over the course of five sets, Tsitsipas's aggressive attacking tennis seemed to wear him down, and you know, again, Shapovalov, same deal at Wimbledon. When you can get that first step, when you force Murray into the outer thirds, force him to try and play some defense, he just can't move quite as well as he once did. He didn't have to win this match. He kept things extraordinarily simple. Again, great, you know, I don't want to say flawless, but about as perfect of an execution on his plus one forehands and just plus one shots as possible. Kept the return super simple, just taking condensed, you know, short swings on that return. Of course, Andy Murray, you could argue he's the second best returner ever after Novak Djokovic. You want to throw Andre Agassi in that conversation as well. In the men's side, I have no problems with that. I think it's, you know, Djokovic A and a prime Murray 1B, but uh, for Murray, the backhand return in particular, particular win. You know, Ugo Mbera is a guy who loves to hit that lefty slice serve out wide to open up his plus one inside out forehand. And then you get so fearful because he has so much open court because he's so effective at slicing that lefty serve out wide on the ad side that now he can hit the forehand behind you and just, again, keep you guessing. And Murray took that shot away from him. It was by stepping up early in the baseline, taking that ball on the rise, just, you know, again, condensed backswing, short angle, or keeping that ball low at his feet, forcing him, you know, no easy plus one shots. Of course, he took some aggressive rips on second serve returns as well, created 13 breakpoint chances for himself. Enough said there. And, you know, again, for Andy Murray, you do like a quicker surface for him at this point of his career. The grass courts, the indoor hard courts where points can be quick when he can go after his first serve. And, you know, on a day when he serves as well, if Andy Murray's hitting 18 aces against you, even at this age, he's going to find enough, you know, 34, he's going to find some break point chances. He's going to, because he competes so well, because he returns so well, get himself a few chances in your service games. And today he was able to execute, comes back after dropping that first set, stays focused, stays energized. Of course, the thing for Andy Murray that he has going for him at this point the crowd will always be behind him, always be ready to provide him that extra energy boost. He gets the job done. He advances over the sixth seed, Ugo Umber. Now look, he's got a very winnable match against Vashik Pospisil in the next round, and that's a very simple match as well. Not simple in terms of, you know, the difficulty he's going to face, but a simple execution of the game plan. you got to be precise on your returns of serve. You have to be executing on, a, on your first serve as well because if you leave Vashik Pospisil floating second serves, he's going to be taking aggressive cuts at the return of serve all night long. And of course, on an indoor hard court, a guy who's hitting 130 bombs, serving and volleying, he's going to have success on serve. And so you look for Andy Murray. It's a very interesting match. And by the way, worth noting, and shout out to Chris Otto for pointing us to this fact, Andy Murray right now in the live rankings, number 113. Two victories away, I believe, from uh, getting close to the top 100. He's, again, one more win, he'd get up to number 109 in the live rankings. And I apologize Betty, uh, to Betty, who I believe tweeted at us, and asked, what's the difference between the live rankings and the ATP rankings? That's an excellent question. Happy to answer them. The ATP rankings are static. They change once a week. So at the start of the week, all of the points from the previous week are at tallied up. You then have your 52-week point total. That's what your ranking point number is. The live ranking is more fluid. So for the live ranking, and it's live-tennis.eu uh, uh, for these live rankings. And if you Google live rankings, you'll find the link right away. It's the first one that pops up. It's much more fluid, and it's a credit to their programming of the website where at the start of the week, it drops off the points 
that you're losing at the start of the week, and then it reflects with each match added uh, to the rankings. It reflects those rankings, and it updates. It's just, again, it's a fluid ranking. It's constantly updating the formula as you as it would be. What you see in the formalized ATP and WTA rankings is the end product at the end of each week of the live rankings formula. And so, again, live rankings, few fluid, ATP, WTA rankings, static each week. That's why I always refer to the live rankings because it's indicative of where they will be moving forward versus the ATP and WTA rankings, which is indicative of where they were entering the week. I hope that answers your question. But again, that's enough on Andy Murray. You look at the other seeds in the draw. It's a, it's a really, really fun draw here this week uh, in France. You've got Hubi Hercots, your number one seeded on an indoor hard court. His aggressive game style, you always love uh, his opportunities here. And Hubi's a guy definitely looking for a big bounce back. I don't want to say it was a disappointing uh, U.S. Open for him, but you look for Hubi Hercots, the fact that at in New York, uh, you know, he ends up uh, getting knocked out by Andreas Seppi in four sets. You know what? I'll say it. That's a disappointing result for Hubi, particularly given I thought he played well in Cincinnati, losing round of 16, 6, and 6 to Carino Boost. I thought he played well in Canada, losing 7, 6 in the third to Medvedev. And so would love to see him, you know, solidify his ranking here. And look, we talked about the race to the year in finals on the women's side. You look at the race to the year in finals on the men's side. Hubi Hercats is currently eighth. You take Rafa out of the equation and Rafa is currently seventh, but that doesn't count. That moves to be up from eighth, uh, from ninth to eighth, and for you know Hubi Hercats, who uh, currently has a about two hundred point lead on FAA, who's not playing this week. Yes, you have Indian Wells on the schedule. FAA is playing; he's playing Labor Cup, but he's not playing a sanctioned points earning event. Uh, not sanctioned points earning event. Uh, you look for Hubi's got a chance to pad that lead, and for Hubi to get the chance to compete with the best of the best at the year-end finals, that's exactly the sort of repetition he needs, the sort of opportunity to build those confidence-building data points, earn some belief in himself. And I'm just going to be honest. Hubi against the best players is better than Hubi against players outside the top 50. The tennis abstract numbers reflect as not much. I've referred to that uh, stat and breakdown before. I believe he's like 8-6 and six against top 20 opponents versus like 14 and 12 against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Yeah, that's Hubi for you. At the same time, you know, the better the opponent, the better the Hubi because he's got the weapons, he's got the physicality, he's got the size. So I really want to see him at the year on finals, see what he does when he has to bring his best in each and every match. But in order to get there, he's got to bring his best at an event like this. And so first round, he's going to play the winner of Pui or Schnur, and then it would be the Pospisil Murray winner after that. There's no reason Hubi Hercats can't make the semifinals of this event, but the idea of a Hubi Murray uh, matchup, I know those two guys practiced together uh, at the start of this event as well. That would be super, super fun, but you look at some of the other action up and down the draw. We're going to get Demonauer, the number four seed against Marcos Giron. Giron, a three-set win over Arthur Rindernesh, two former college guys who have solidified themselves in the top 100. That's a really good 6-4 in the third win for Giron. Of course, you look for Rindernesh coming off of a semifinal last week at the challenger level. Tough loss, but nevertheless, you know, again, this result, more to do with Giron than anything Rindernesh did wrong. As we continue to move down the draw, Karen Hatchinov earns a three-set victory over qualifier Alexandre Muller. He's going to play the winner of Antoine Huang, Peter Goyowitz. You look down the draw, eighth seed, Nicolas Basilishvili going to take on Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Davidovich Fokina, a three-set win over Jill Simone, who, look, how frequently will we continue to see the French veteran play? You look for Simone now in the live rankings. Jill Simone has fallen, I believe, all the way uh, let's see, two. Oh, there are a lot of Simones in the live rankings. I should have typed in Jill. He's fallen to number 98, and you look for Jill Simone now here in the 2021 season. It has been an absolute struggle for him overall. He's not even in your top 200 uh, of the ELO rankings because, quite frankly, he hasn't earned enough victories to be there. He's just taken a lot of lumps up and down the board. You look for Jill Simone here in the 2021 season. Ooh, I, ooh. it's, I mean, I, I don't, I mm. Whatever. We'll say it. Facts are facts. He's 4-19 this season. It's not been pretty. He's, his wins, he beat Rindernesh at Winston-Salem. He beat De Rossi in the San Marino Challenger. He beat Travaglia in Caglieri, and he beat Elias Emer at the start of the season. 4-19. It's been a rough year for Jill Simone. 
Hopefully we he gets the sort of exit he deserves. Hopefully we get to salute him at the slams uh, because obviously he has been a staple of not just the top 50 but the top 20 for the past decade. And so uh, obviously we're near the end of that, Simone. It speaks to the generational shift as always, and that's a good win for Davidovich Fokina to come back after dropping that first set 7-6 against a hostile crowd because they were pulling for the French veteran. But good win for Fokina. He's got Basilish Vili next. You look up and down the draw. Monfils going to take on Cole Schreiber. If this was 2011, I'd break that down. You've got Mikhail Emer. Good 5-3 and three win. And Emer, of course, played the super fun four-set match against Jensen Brooksby in the first round of New York. Or was that the second round? Who remembers at this point? But Emer now going to be a physical one against Karina Busta. Strap in your seatbelts, folks. That one's got two hours written all over it. And then a really fun one. Holger Rune, who earned a double bagel win over lucky loser Bernabe Zapata Morales. He's going to take on Lorenzo Sinego, the fifth seed, a 3-2 and two win over Fucevic. Look, seeing how the 18-year-old Rune deals with the weapons of a Lorenzo Sinego, who obviously won a title in Vienna at the end of last season, so does have some points to defend here, uh, but... That's that's a fun data point because the serve, the forehand, those are the sort of weapons that as an 18-year-old you're just not accustomed to competing against in the weapons that Sinego has. So certainly a fun one to keep an eye on. That's your action happening over in France, of course, again, as I mentioned right now via the tennis abstract win projections. Karina Busta, your favorite, 24.1%. Then it's Karen Hachinov actually at 16.5%. Hubi Hercots, 13.6% after that big drop off all the way down to Andy Murray, 5.5%. Alex Diemenauer, 5.1%. Gael Monfils at 6.1%. So again, it's really, they say Karina Busta, your heavy favorite. Then it's a Hachinov, Hubi tier. It's a wide open race though. Uh, although of course Karina Busta right now probably the best of the veterans, right? Not the Djokovic Nadal category, but the best of that lost generation, the Dimitrov, the Rayoniches of the world. You would argue Karina Busta is their representative right now. Schwartzman's over at Laver Cup, so he's not playing this week. Karina Busta is uh, certainly would be nice to see him earn a t- another title. I don't know if it would be nice, but it wouldn't be surprising. I, I, it wouldn't not be nice. It just you know, I guess, again, something to keep your eyes on, but that's your action happening over in France. You look at the other event happening in Nur Sultan. Again, it's it's a super fun draw, and it's the sort of draw you get to see so many young guys, take, or guys who have been scrapping and earning uh, their points at the challenger level, get a shot at uh, an ATP-level victory. Of course, Benjamin Bonzi, who I talked about yesterday, six ATP challenger titles this season. He is in the main draw here in Nur Sultan now, He's won challengers the past three weeks. A lot of matches on those legs, and he's going to, you know, it'll be fascinating to see how those legs hold up against the power tennis of Emil Rusevori, but that's a really fun first-round match. Winner gets top seed Aslan Karatsev. That's, that will be, especially if, you know, again, either way, but Rusevori Karatsev, Bonzi Karatsev, must-see TV. Ilya Ivashka continues to rock and roll. And by the way, Ilya Ivashka via the ELO ratings. Currently, uh, I believe, in terms of overall ELO, inside the top 50 now, Ilya Ivashka all the way up to number 21 in overall ELO. You look 2021 specific results. His 37 and 7 record is good for 14th in 2021 ELO. You look for Ilya Ivashka in the race to the year-end finals. Ivashka has accumulated the 38th most points on the ATP Tour this season. You look for Ivashka now with his title in Winston-Salem, his run at the U.S. Open. He's currently 48th. That's a career high in the live rankings uh, on the ATP uh, on the ATP live rankings. Excuse me. Uh, it's not surprising at all to see him earn a 2-4 and four win over qualifier Elias Emer. It would not be surprising at all to see him make a run to not only the quarterfinals and hold seed, but knock off Fakaretsev, make another final here. Indoor hard courts for the 6-3-6-4 Belarusian. Um, look, his power tennis and just his success, it, it's the perfect nexus right now. Guy who's playing his best com- uh, tennis and confident enough to think he can beat anyone 
on a good surface for him as well. Ivashka, a dangerous name to keep an eye on this week. Of course, you look up and down the draw, your two seed Sasha Bublik on an indoor hardcore. That makes a lot of sense. It's going to be a really fun one. Contrast of styles between he and Miomir Kesmenovic in round number one. You look elsewhere, some fun ones. Lorenzo Musetti earning a much-needed win. He's now going to take on Laszlo Jure in round number two. You've got the Deuce taking on Dusan Lajevic, your three seed, taking on the winner of Sun Wukwana and Evgeny Donskoy. Jarosimov going to take on the winner of Taberner and Barankis. Top half of the draw, number five seed John Millman. Three-set win over Dmitry Popko. He's not got a Halmi Munar. Three and six win over Yuri Vesely. Your four seed Philip Kranovich going to play the winner of Kukushkin and Duckworth. That is the action in Nur Sultan, according to Tennis Abstracts. Win singles forecast. Guess who your favorite is? I, I'll give you a guess. Come on, say it out loud. I just read the ELO ratings off. Who do you think of number one seed Aslan Karatsev, two seed Sasha Bublik, three seed The Deuce, four seed Philip Kranovich, or any of the other names I named? Who's your favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast? Ilya Ivashka in Nur Sultan, 25% favorite Krajinovic, 12.6% Karatsev, 11.4% Bublik, 11.1%. I have no arguments. I have no qualms, folks. You are definitely going to see me tweet that out as soon as I am done recording of course with that in mind those are your tour level events on the men's side quickly on the challenger level action in Columbus bunch of fun results on day one I believe we got all of our round of 32 matches now officially in the books you look up and down the draw uh, again a bunch of fun ones I, I'll start with JJ Wolf uh, of course who I believe in his career now 18 and four in Columbus Challengers. He's made finals of his last three titles at the last two. He gets a really tricky but very impressive 3-2 and two victory over one of the standouts of the uh, Lotto Elite Pro Tennis Challenge, Bakun Sasakumar. 3-2 and two for JJ. That serve, that forehand. They're tour-level weapons, and it's just good to see his movement back. Good to see him striking the ball confidently. He's going to have a test now. You know, the always tricky Evan King, the lefty King, 4-4 four and four win over J.C. Aragoni. Those are two guys, Cracked Rackets favorites. So, uh, you know, no thoughts on that match. That's just tough. That i got to watch them play. But, uh, you know, for J.J. King, that should be a fun one. Buckeye, Wolverine in Columbus. Come on. Who doesn't love that, of course? You've got number one seed, Tennis Sandgren, after whatever happened last week. Good victory for him, 3-2 and two over Alexi Galarno. He's now going to take on Gilles Brouwer uh, of the Netherlands. Of course, as you move down the draw, Pranesh Gunaswaran, 7-5 in the third. Super impressive victory over qualifier and former University of Illinois. All-American Alexander Kovacevic just... Look, the lefty game of Gunaswaran was able to put pressure on uh, uh, Kovacevic and, you know, Kovacevic, one bad service game at five all in the third. That was the difference. And, you know, again, indoor, hard court, fast, hard court. Scootiswaran's just a funky game style. It's, it's going to put pressure on you. It's a good win for him. He now takes on Mikhail Torpgaard, who, of course, has also had so much success at Columbus Challengers over the year. Torpgaard, 7-6 win in the third over the tricky former junior Wimbledon champion, still young, uh, I want to say 19 or 20-year-old Shintaro Machizuki. It's a much-needed win for Torp. And now, again, Torp, I kind of like that matchup for him in Gunaswaran. I think that's a tough one because Torp's just, you know, again, he's going to fire back in. He's going to do his thing. He is not going to be phased on these courts by anyone. And I know that's weird to say, but these, these are his home courts. These are the courts, you know, this facility in Columbus where Mikhail Torpegard uh, became Torpegard. And so looking forward to that matchup, of course, as we move down the draw. Jason Kubler going to take on Kozlov. Kozlov an 0-3 win over Kerry Challenger winner Mitchell Kruger. That's just a schedule loss for Kruger. Nevertheless, a much-needed victory for Kozlov, of course, as you look elsewhere. Uh, Alexander Vukic, 4-5 and five win over the big-hitting Ernesto Escobedo. He's now going to take on Cannon Kingsley, who earned a 7-6 in the third win over Ohio State teammate Mate Votzel. Uh, that's a little fun lineup data point for all of us college tennis fans. And again, Illini, Buckeyes, Illini, Wolverines, same day, Columbus. You know we're locked in. In terms of the other results, number three seed Alex Bolt, 6-6 six and six win over Noah Rubin. Jingsung Nam, a win over Yun Sung Chung. Penniston over 
Jung Purcell over Tracy Maya over Chapel Dane Kelly over number two seed Salvatore Caruso should be fun week of action in Columbus of course again four other challengers on the week and I know Damien Kustin Yakubabro broke this down on their Monday episode of the Great Shot podcast you look over in Switzerland your top seeds Pierre Uzerber Dennis Novak Henry Laxanen and number four seed Thomas Matchek although Matchek knocked out by Ram Kumar Ramanathan my guy uh, who I got the chance to meet in Pennsylvania chat with I love Matchek as well but you know again that's a fun draw you've got a potential Alex Richard born in a Goyo uh, Virginia Wake Forest battle in the round of 16 heading over there Goyo gonna have it to get through his first round match first against Sozo Richard already a victory after he qualified for this event Tim Van Richeven uh, in the draw you see uh, I see Chem Ilkel in the draw Dom Stricker the ter- talented young Swiss uh, player in the draw as well so a bunch of talent uh, competing this week in Switzerland of course you look over in Portugal you've got top seed Tego Montiero he earned a first round win second seed Taro Daniel uh, earned a first round win your third seed on the week uh, Hugo Gaston earned a third round win fourth seed Nikola Miljovic also a first round win over Nuno Borges of uh, of course favorite of us here at Crack Rackets. You look at some of the other college guys in the draw. Roberto Sid going to take on Robin Hassa. Round one, Alex Rybakov knocked off in round one, but good to see him getting some challenger reps uh, here over the past few weeks. Ty Kwiatkowski, big win for him, five and three over seven seed Federico Ferreira Silva. Shout out to my main man, Ty. I'm going to have to send some texts after this uh, after this podcast and I'm done recording. You look at the challenger happening this week in Ecuador. Top seed Juan Pablo Villarreal, seven, six in a third victory over former USC standout Roberto Queiroz, your two-seed Andre Martin, 7-6 in the third victory for him as well. Your third seed uh, on the week, I believe, let's see here, do we have a lucky loser? We did. Alejandro Gonzalez knocked out by Pedro Sakimoto, your four-seed Emilio Gomez knocked out by Julian Lenz, that's a Baylor on USC Trojan crime. Uh, But again, you see Patrick Kipson, former Texas A&M and Kalamazoo champion in the draw, Tego Tarante, uh, your seven seed talented young Argentinian in the draw one Pablo Vikovic six seed he's had success of late in the draw a lot of names uh, continuing to scrap here at the end of the year you've also got one last challenger happening in Romania your top seeds Travaglia uh, Radu Elbad both earning victories Tanasi Kokonakis your three seed with a win your fourth seed Zdenek Kolar last week's champion knocked off again schedule sort of loss you per- perhaps by t- uh, Tamaraz Gabasvili you look at the other draws the talented young Czech who's earned a couple of challenger titles of late Yuri Lechechka. Uh, he earned a 3-1 victory in his first round match of it. Kopriva, 6-4, 6-4 victory for him in his first rounder as well. I'm looking for the college ties in this draw. I don't think I see any college ties here, but again, Tons of talent across the board and four, I mean, five challengers in one week, livestream.com slash ATP, 24 hours of action, folks. That is is what it is all about. But of course, you move beyond that to the ITFs we have this week. The final thing I want to talk about here in uh, the American action. Again, you got to give a shout out to all these college programs, whether it's this week in Fort Worth, in Fayetteville, of course, Champaign over the past few weeks. Columbus has a bunch of events. Winston-Salem has a bunch of events. Los Angeles has a bunch of events. Ann Arbor had a bunch of events for a hot second. Sorry, you know I had to go there. But shout out to all these college coaches, these uh, camp for getting pro events on uh, on campus and just you know using their facilities, giving these players opportunities to compete uh, across the nation. And you look at the men's and women's draw. Let's start with a fantastic twenty five k for the women in Fort Worth. I if I could fly right now to Fort Worth to watch Katarina Jokic take on Sarah Davatilla, I would. I absolutely would. Those are two of the top five players from college tennis last season. That's a first-round match at a 25K. Those are two players who belong in the top 300 of the women's rankings. I'm just telling you right now. They're both going to get there quickly, and they are going to go higher than that in my opinion. But I just don't want to get too crazy on you. That's fantastic. 
Two top players in the nation last season, Ashley Leahy, Pepperdine, Alexa Noel, I believe Iowa. That's a really, really fun matchup. You've also got Alexa Graham, uh, obviously UNC All-American, taking on number three seed Hannah Chang. You've got Virginia, NCAA champ Emma Navarro earned a first-round win. She's a sixth seed in the draw, your top seed in the tournament, Kaya Kanepi. Uh, for any of these players to get a shot at Kanepi, who's been so excellent this year, uh, certainly they're going to enjoy that. But you see some others, Charlotte Shavatapan uh, of Texas, I see in the draw, talented young Kayla Day in the draw, McCartney Kessler in the draw, Sasha Victory, Ellie Douglas. Again, a lot to like at this Fort Worth 25K. Of course, you look at the 15K for the men in Fayetteville. Already had a win for top seed, former Florida standout Sekou Bangora over Thomas Jirasek. Uh, You look up and down the draw, McNally going to take on Nicholas Rosett, of course. What is John McNally going to do with that final year of eligibility is a question on the mind of many many coaches and uh, on the mind here as well. You look elsewhere, Adrian Boyton coming off of a champagne final. He's in the main draw here. Toby Kodat, talented young American four seed, got a three-set win over Zeke Clark. Liam Draxel, your number one preseason player in the nation for Kentucky, a straight-set win over Illinois' Alex Brown. You look elsewhere, Finn Bass, Baylor's Finn Bass, great guy, one of my favorites, going to take on champagne champion fifth seed Martin Dom. Uh, some other fun ones, Tyler Zink taking on Florin Broska. You've got Teddy Paralek taking on von der Schulenberg. Who doesn't love uh, a little Paralek versus the Doc action? You've also got uh, Carlos Ozalins, the freshman for, uh, I believe, T- uh, freshman for Illinois, excuse me, taking on uh, TCU uh, Sander Jong, lucky loser after he lost to Finn Bass in the final round of qualifying. You've also got Johnny Ross. Virginia graduate taking on former NCAA champion and second seed Paul Jubb. So, yeah, college tennis ties pro tennis ties, college tennis implications, you name it, we've got it this week. The scene is set. What's popping? It's the professional tennis world, and again, it should be a fantastic week of action. Of course, we will be breaking down all of that action day in, day out here uh, over the course of the week. We also are going to be breaking down Labor Cup. I'm going to find a guest tomorrow to hop on the show, talk about that. We're going to have Brett McCormick on to talk about the economics of the tennis world right now. These will all be great shot podcasts, so be on the lookout for that feed. Of course, Cracked Interviews-wise, we've been on a bit of a Columbia bench. We had head coach Howard Endelman, senior Austin Huang, third-year Alex Kotzen. We've got some Tennessee players in the queue for this week as well, and of course, a bunch of fun conversations over the past month and a half, two months as we've been on the road, so if you've missed any of that, of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly? I'm at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for super producers Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.